Last summer, it was like any other summer evening, uh, kind of like an afternoon thing. I was just chilling with the boys, doing a little driving around in mission. And uh, we know what you do is, as you drive through mission, right, you want to go get a little bit of a coffee, right? So we went to the Penny, which apparently hadn't opened yet. So we didn't go to the Penny, so we were bored. So we jumped back in the car, and we're driving, and we thought, hey, let's go to Rocco's. And so Rocco's is a cool place. We're driving up to Rocco's, and as we're pulling up towards Rocco's, we see, me uh, imagine it's a bunch of single dudes in a car, and we, as we're pulling up, walking into the entrance of Rocco's, we see th- three girls walk in. <laughs> right, we turn the car, and we pull into Rocco's, we slide in, and we're like, I put the car in park, the guys are already out of the car, they're inside Rocco's. <laughs> we get inside Rocco's diner, and it is just jam-packed. Because apparently, everybody watches this show called Riverdale with Archie and Jugface. And, um, and so this place is packed out with people, and you can't get a spot. No longer at Rocco's. And so I, I come walking in, I lock the car, and I see the guys, they're all standing at me. And uh, one of them looks at me and says, uh, we should go. And I'm saying, oh, but we just got here. What about, what about those girls? We should go. So we leave, and we get back in the car. We sit in the car. And uh, one of the guys in the back of the car says, yeah, man, uh, too bad we didn't get to talk to those chicks. To which one of the other guys there says, they were in high school. <laughs> to which I said, what do you mean? How could you tell? Did you see them? Did you see what they were wearing? They looked like they were at least 26, 27. They looked old with what they were wearing. He said, their mom dropped them off and gave them money. <laughs> Did you not see that? And so we got out of there quickly. Not my best moment. It was weird. Look, (laughs) the reason I'm telling you this is for this simple lesson. A lot of times you don't know the core of something until you get up close to that something, to that thing. And this is the same thing, this is the case when we look at Mormonism. I don't know how many of you guys have studied or researched any sort of Mormonism before, But Mormonism is a separate religion from Christianity, except they would call themselves Christians. Okay, so on the surface, they would say we're Christians. But as you get deeper, you begin to peel back the layers, you're going to find they are not Christians. And so as we study this tonight, I do want to say that there was a sermon I listened to, like it's nine years old, that really helped me, and it helped with some of the flow of these thoughts from a guy named Brian Hurlbutt, who, uh, all name team, let's be honest, <laughs> Brian Barfbum, and, um, but he, he works in Salt Lake City, and so he is actually kind of an expert in this field. We're going to try and bring him onto our podcast uh, this next week. Anyways, how I want to study this tonight is I want to look at what is Mormonism. I want to look at what they mean when they say repentance, because when we look at Mormonism and we look at other religions, a lot of times they'll use similar language, but what they mean is something different. And then I want to look at true forgiveness. What is Mormonism? What is Mormonism? What is repentance? And then true forgiveness. So what is Mormonism? First, if you have a Bible, I want you to look at Galatians 1, verse 6 to 9. If you can pull up on your phone, we're going to throw it on the screen as well. I want you to think about this verse, have this in the back of your mind as we uh, move through this talk tonight. Now, just a little bit of context to this passage. Typically, if you look at the beginning, this comes at the beginning of one of Paul's letters, and he's writing this to the Galatians. A lot of times, what you'll see, if you follow along, you'll see Paul, he'll have a greeting. You know, my name is Paul. It's great to be with you, blah, blah, blah. Then he'll go thanking people. He has a big time of thanksgiving in his letters. Then he gets into what he's wanting to say. 
In the book of Galatians, Paul is actually angry. He comes into this and he's, he's mad. And so there's no thanksgiving. There's no reason for thanksgiving. He begins, he finishes uh, his greeting and then he begins to say this. I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and they're trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. Here's the kicker. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. Then he doubles down. He says, as we have already said, so I now say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than the one you've accepted, let them be under God's curse. So what we see here is we see there's a false teaching that has entered into the Galatians, and Paul's trying to root it out, and he's mad. Okay, but I want you to be thinking about this, this language of the angel. False teachers have infiltrated, and they're doing more good than bad, and he's trying to dissect it. And so here's what I want to do. I believe that Mormonism is a false teaching. And so we want to be dissecting that tonight and trying to cut that out. So here's what Mormons believe. Mormons follow the account of a man named Joseph Smith. And Joseph Smith has written down the Book of Mormon. He translated it, and what it says is it says it's another testament of Jesus Christ. Mormonism, it believes, and its beliefs and its teachings begin with this. Uh, God the Father was once like us. He was once a human being. But by living a perfect life, God the Father, whose name is Elohim, ascended to perfection. And because he ascended to perfection, he, he uh, lived the perfect life as according to the way he should. He was given his own planet. Now, God the Father, Elohim, had a wife, and he made a bunch of spirit babies. Okay, This is how, how this works in Mormonism. So the, the highest place of salvation in Mormonism, the end goal, which they won't tell you, is you, you know, they would say, we're Christians. And you think, okay, great, you believe in heaven? Actually, no, we believe that you're going to become a celestial sex god. Which is, they don't tell you that on the front end. But what they believe is that one day you're going to get your own planet, and you're going to be able to repopulate it uh, over time, over eternity. So Elohim is one of these guys. He has two sons, then he has a bunch of sons, but the two, I think the first two eldest sons, one is Jesus, and his brother is Satan. Now, they needed a plan of salvation to be put in place because they said, okay, all of these spirit people, all these spirit babies, spirit children, need to come down uh, and they need to live a perfect life so that they can become like their heavenly father who is perfect. So they have to put in a plan of salvation. And so there's two plans that are put forth at this big council. Jesus is sitting there, Satan is sitting there, and a bunch of other people. One of the plans is people need to live a life on earth a life of perfection that eventually will lead to them becoming like their heavenly father who is perfect. The other plan, the one proposed by Lucifer, by Satan, was I'm going to subjugate everybody, we'll make everyone believe into it, and then I'll get the glory for coming up for that plan. That plan wasn't chosen. The, the plan that was chosen was the one of Mormon Jesus, and that was the plan they went with. And so they were cast down to earth. Satan and his deceivers were cast down, and Jesus came down and lived as a human male. Okay? So now, when they talk about, in Christianity, when we talk about the Trinity, here's something you need to know. And this is what makes it a heresy from the start, is Mormons deny the Trinity. They'll talk the language, yeah, we believe in God the Father, we believe in the Son, we believe in the Holy Ghost, 
Uh, what they don't believe is that they're actually one. In Christianity, there's something, again, it's called the Trinity. It's a historical doctrine held by the church for thousands of years, okay? If you step outside of this, you're now in heresy land. You're outside of confessional historic orthodoxy. Mormons believe that there's Father, Elohim, Jesus, his son, and the Holy Ghost, who is another person, okay? They are all separate beings, so there is no Trinity, but they're united in spirit, and that's the language they're going to use. It's deceptive. So they believe this. Now, this plan of salvation that they put in place rides on everyone coming to earth and living this perfect life. Now, in order for them to know good from bad, Mormons teach that Adam and Eve made a choice that was actually a noble act. They chose to sin so that man could now know good from evil and know the difference between actually following God's way and not following God's way. Now, here's the interesting thing about that. So it's a noble act. They believe that if you're not living this perfect life, you're sinning. And if you live in that state, it doesn't really matter because you still go to heaven. So Mormonism also teaches that there are three realms of heaven. There is a telestial realm, there is a terrestrial realm, and there's a celestial realm that I'll get to in a bit. Now, part of this plan of salvation also includes the people in the Americas. So Jesus goes, he has atonement in the garden, and he basically does not die in sacrifice of our sins. Joseph Smith or, writes that Jesus actually went to the garden and suffered so that when we're in times of suffering, we can feel peace in the presence of Jesus because he also suffered like we suffered. So there's no sacrificial atonement of Christ. One of the interesting things, so this is where it gets really interesting. Jesus dies like he, uh, at, he does, rises again, and in the book of Acts, Jesus raises to heaven. What you find in Mormonism is they teach that Jesus then visits the Americas. He visits like the Aztec, pe- the Aztec peoples. So he comes to the Americas. Jesus is there ministering to them, and he's teaching about this New Testament. All this that was recorded on some gold tablets, and these gold tablets would one day become the Book of Mormon. The gold tablets, were, they were hidden underground, and in the 1820s, the man known as Joseph Smith who is known as a good storyteller, claimed to have been visited by the angel Moroni. And the angel Moroni, think Galatians, okay? This angel told him that there's another testament. There's a furthering of the gospel that hasn't been told yet. And so he waits three years. Then he goes, finds the tablets, and he translated them. He translated them. They became the Book of Mormon. And here's the thing. He's the only one who could read the tablets, and no one else could read it. And so he would sit behind a curtain and he would, he would uh, read what he saw in the tablets through the seeing hat. And then a guy on the other side of the curtain would write down what Joseph Smith had said. And this is all found in here. Now, they will say, look, we believe in the Bible as long as it's the KJV, okay? But the Mormon is the extension. The Book of Mormon is the extension of the Bible. You guys track with me so far? That was just a little bit of history of Mormonism. Now, here's the thing that... Um, is really profound when it comes to Mormonism, is if you spend any time around them, you're going to hear about this, this something called uh, a testimony. Now, in Christianity, when we say a testimony, we say, yeah, the testimony is what God has been doing in my life. Um, I've been, you know, I was here in my life, and God brought me, uh, he, he showed me my sin, and, and he saved me, and now I live this way, right? He's changed the way I am. For Mormons, a testimony is something else. It's actually a concrete moment that happens in your life. What Mormons do, if you ever get to meet with a Mormon, they'll come over. Actually, it was fun. In preparation for this, I called some Mormons and invited them over to my house. 
It was a super random thing. I had uh, one of my friends, Luke, had a, uh, he had their number in their phone because we met with some before. And I tried to call uh, their headquarters in Salt Lake City, and they didn't answer. They said, well, yeah, we don't take questions over the phone. So I called, um, I called them on the phone. And they answered the phone. They said, hey, it's the missionaries. Because they have more missionaries, right, who go out. And I said, yes, I have questions. Can, I, can you come over to my house? And so they came over to my house, and I sat across the table from them. Now, if you've ever had a time of interacting with Mormons, what they'll typically do is they'll sit down and they'll be super polite. You know, like there's, Mormons are probably the kindest people on earth. Too kind, if you know what I mean, okay? <laughs> but they're delightful. And so we go back and forth, we banter about things, right? Like, you know, I've done it before. I used to just try and argue with them. I'd be like, why do you believe this about Jesus? You know, what's the deal with uh, Joseph Smith? I thought he was like, um, just, he dies in a shootout and I would just poke at little things. And of course they poke fun at us. Right? They say, why do you Christians always uh, call us Jehovah's Witnesses? Because we're not Jehovah's Witnesses. It's actually a separate thing. And I'd say, uh, you know, I'd, I'd banter back and forth. And in Twitch, they say, why do all Christians wear blundstones? And, <laughs> and what's the deal with homeschooling? And so back and forth, we have this good banter. But then we get down to it, okay? We get down to it. And they will um, they'll open up Book of Mormon. They say, I want to read to you from the Book of Mormon. And they will say, Pay attention to any feeling that you feel inside. Okay, if you notice, see if you notice anything, and then they'll read something. This is typically what they'll read. I ask them, which is the passage they read? This is from the book of Moroni. And when ye shall receive these things, I would extort you that ye would ask God, the eternal Father, in the name of Christ, if these things are not true. And if ye shall ask with a sincere heart, with real intent, having faith in Christ, he will manifest the truth of it unto you by the power of of the Holy Ghost. And as they're reading this, they're constantly looking up to you to see if you're feeling something inside. And by the power of the Holy Ghost, you may know the truth of all things. And I'll ask you, have you felt anything? If you feel, do you feel anything moving inside of you? And what they're asking is if you're having a testimony at this point. Because if the Holy Ghost comes upon you, that is known as your testimony. And so actually it was funny. I was engaging with them. He was reading this thing. And my heart starts to really beat really fast. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, am I having a testimony? <laughs> because in my mind, I'm just like locking up all the things. Here's I'm going to destroy your argument, bro. But then I thought to myself, wow, this is really how they actually, I think, um, convert people. Is, is some people come wanting to, to have the spiritual experience and explore this. And there's nerves and there's things. And then they believe that, oh wow, I've had this testimony. And so here's the interesting thing about this testimony is when you talk with a Mormon, a lot of times they'll keep saying about this testimony. You can ask them about historical things, like tell me some historical facts. And they'll say, well, you know, it's just really, really important that uh, we have our testimony. And to which I'll say, okay, look, if you're going to be like a business investor, chances are you're going to want to be doing some research, okay? If you're investing in, guys, Bitcoin, okay? You're doing some Bitcoin, you're going to research which coins are doing well, which ones are going to crash, where you can buy low, and then, of course, you'll watch your coin crash the next day and whatnot. But you're going to do some research before, before you invest into it. And I said, you know, you guys believe this, right? Mormons, you believe this? Yeah, of course, you'd make, you'd make research about the investment. And I would say, then why don't you do this about your faith? Because every time I ask you something historic, you keep denying and you keep saying, well, it's really important that we have our testimony. It's our testimony, it's our testimony, it's our testimony. And what they keep coming back to is this religious experience that they've had. There's a quote by a guy named Bruce R. McConkie. He's one of their kind of teachers. Think like the John Piper of Mormonism. He writes this, who can argue with a testimony? Unbelievers may contend about our doctrine, 
They may rest with the scriptures to their destruction. They may explain away this or that from purely intellectual standpoint, but they cannot overpower a testimony. They cannot overpower this feeling you've had in them. And so I'll ask them, look, are you willing to put 95% of your belief on this testimony? And I've looked across the table from the guys, and the guy's like, well, it's really important we have our faith. And the guy keeps responding. Then so I turn to the other guy who wasn't saying much. Are you willing to put 90% on it, bro? Yeah. Are you willing to put 100% on it? Sure. So he puts 100% of his belief on the spiritual experience he's had once. And I'll say, you sure about that? Look, like I've had a religious experience. I felt the Holy Spirit. But I also try to find some other facts behind it. Do you believe? No. It's the testimony. And what you begin to find is Mormonism is a, bit, a different way of seeing the world. It's a different way of interacting with the world. It's a purely experiential way of seeing the world. So look, that is uh, what Mormonism is, just in a nutshell. I don't have time to get into all the details here. They also believe this thing in repentance. And this is really important. This is kind of where I want to begin, begin um, honing in. in. In Christianity, when we say repentance, what we mean is I'm living in sin, I realize my sin, and I repent, which means I turn away from that sin and I move back towards Christ. Okay, whatever that is in my life, if a brother and sister said, hey, look, you're living in sin right now, you need to repent, that means I need to turn away from this and start uh, following Christ again. I've made an, an idol out of this thing. I've made an ultimate thing out of this. I'm, I'm, I'm worshiping this thing, this specific sin, and I need to repent and turn back to God. In Mormonism, repentance actually means your works. Okay, so it's enormously important to clarify with Mormons what they mean when they say repentance. They'll say this. This is um, Spencer Kimball, who's, who's a writer. And he writes this in his book, Miracle of Forgiveness. You're right, he's a Mormon writer. He says, Repentance must involve an all-out, total surrender to the program of the Lord. That transgressor is not fully repentant, who neglects his tithing, misses his meetings, breaks the Sabbath, fails in his family prayers, does not sustain the authorities of the church, breaks the word of wisdom, does not love the Lord nor his fellow men. A reforming adulterer who drinks or curses is not repentant. The repenting burglar who has sex play, which you can kind of tell the error this is written in, uh, is not ready for forgiveness. God cannot forgive the transgressor until he shows true repentance, which spreads to all areas of his life. And so I look at these Mormons across the table from me, knowing what they mean by repentance. And I say, there's no way you live up to that, is there? You mean there's no way? There's no way you live your life in complete repentance. You sin. You sin like I sin. Right? Show me a breathing man, and I'll show you a man who struggles with lust. And of course they giggle, and they say, yeah, it's true. So I say, well, what do you do with that? That kind of refuses your argument. They say, well, look, we, we believe that we can have forgiveness and we believe we can repent. And what they mean is, look, if I, if I do these commandments and, and, I, and I keep them, to them this is their law, if I keep this, I be, can become perfect when my father's perfect. So anytime I sin, anytime I fall into that, I can keep repenting and keep repenting and you keep working your way to be like God, to have salvation. And the idea is this, if I do the commandments to be repentant, God will act in forgiveness towards me. Here's an interesting thing that Spencer Kimball continues. He says this. He's talking about the works. 
One of the most fallacious doctrines originated by Satan and propounced by man is that man is saved alone by the grace of God. That belief in Jesus Christ alone is all that is needed for salvation. He writes this again in the book, The Miracle of Forgiveness. And then he continues, he says, Your heavenly Father has promised forgiveness upon total repentance and meeting all the requirements, but, but that forgiveness is not granted merely for the asking. There must be works, many works, and an all-out total surrender with great humility and a broken heart and a contrite spirit. It depends upon whether or not you are forgiven and when. It could be weeks. It could be years. It could be centuries before that happy day when you have the positive assurance that the Lord has forgiven you. That depends on your humility, your sincerity, your works, and your attitudes. You need to become perfect like your heavenly father, Elohim. And only when you become fully repentant will you receive forgiveness. It's dependent. Yeah, so you need to believe in God the Father. But what gets you there in the end is your works. Do you understand that? So I mentioned Brian Hurlbut. And uh, he was talking in the sermon about when he sat, he's on a, on a plane, he lives in Salt Lake City. And he's flying next to this guy and just so happens he's sitting next to one of the top Mormon guys in Salt Lake City. And so they're engaging and discussing back and forth. And one of the things he says to the guy, he says, let me just pick your brain for a bit. Do you realize that the state of Utah, where most Mormons live, eats the highest amount of ice cream per capita in the United States? The guy says, I didn't know that. Interesting. Did you know that Mormons, or not Mormons, that the people of Utah see uh, more movies per capita at the theaters than uh, any other place in the United States? That's interesting. I, I didn't know that. And then he hits him with this when he says, do you, do you realize that more people in the state of Utah, predominantly Mormon, take Prozac, more, more Prozac, which is an anti-depression drug, more than any other state per capita in the United States? Why do you think that is? And the guy looked at Brian and he said, I thought about it for a second. Well, Mormonism is a Hard religion. It's a difficult religion to follow. And he says, yeah. He says, aren't you kind of selling people a bag of goods that they can't really live up to? The fact that they can never really be forgiven? Because this seems to be the case. There's such a burden for them. They feel like they can't get out from under this. Do you really think that they have full assurance? I sat with one of these Mormon guys across my table. I looked at him and I said, look, what if you went outside, you sinned, and then you're hit by a car, okay? And you didn't repent of that thing. Are you confident? Do you have assurance that you're gonna be in that final level uh, with Elohim? And the guy said, well, I've never thought about that. I don't know. I don't know if I have assurance. I don't know if I'm forgiven. And of course, the Bible would say, look, there's no way we could ever attain this, right? Jeremiah uh, 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? It's a cycle of defeatism, right? We always try and do good, but we're slaves to this law. Uh, we're slaves to sin, right? We try and uphold this good law, right? This is what, if you've been around it at Northview, uh, as we've been going through Romans, this is one of the major themes. Uh, you are a slave uh, to sin or you're a slave to God. 
And if you're a slave to sin, you try and uphold the law, you're going to try, but you're never going to be able to. You're always going to keep failing. It's like when you go to Castle Fun Park and you try and play that game to win the, uh, the, the Game Boy XDS or whatever, and you have the key, you put a dollar in, and you try and get that key to line up perfectly. And of course, you always hit the bumper and you never win it. Okay? You keep trying, you keep wasting your money, and pretty soon you get pretty frustrated because I'm not winning the Game Boy DS. I'm $30 down the hole, and uh, I still haven't attained this thing that I have been seeking. I still haven't got there. I want to read to you um, Nephi. This is one of their books. It says this, and listen to the language because it's similar. It says, For we labor diligently to write, to persuade our children and also our brethren to believe in Christ and be reconciled to God. Right? It's a good thing. For we know that it's by grace, by grace that we are saved after all we can do. After all we can do. That's the kicker there. You must work for your forgiveness. In Mormonism, you must work for that forgiveness. It determines what place in heaven you're going to be at. It determines what kind of afterlife you're going to have. And you begin to ask, Where's the hope in that? All these works that I can't live up to, where's the hope in that? Do you know you can be forgiven? Christian. If you're a believer here today, do you know you can be forgiven? This is where I'm going here. True forgiveness. I'm going to read to you from John. I'm going to read to you from Paul. I'm going to read to you from Jesus. In 1 John 1 Verse 8 and 9 says this, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us in our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Then we read Paul in Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9. He says, For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works. Not after all you can do. It's by faith. It's a gift of God so that no one can boast. And then we get this incredible story in the book of Luke. Some of you know the story. It's the story where Jesus heals a paralyzed man. So everywhere Jesus was going, he was hit crowds gathering him. And this one particular time, he's teaching inside a house. And the house, honestly, was probably tiny, barely even like half of the stage, okay? Crammed with as many people and people waiting outside, listening to, trying to hear what this teacher's gonna say. Jesus is a radical teacher and he's teaching uh, just uh, through, the, through the Torah and he's, he's coming, right, to bring the news of the gospel, and people know this, and he's healing people. And so there's a group of guys who have a paralyzed friend, and they, they believe in Christ. And so they climb up. Uh, there was like a, a, a kind of a sun deck on top of each house in the ancient world. And they break through, and they, and they lower the guy down. This is what it reads. One day Jesus was teaching, and the Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They'd come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house and lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and teachers of the law began to think to themselves, who is this fellow who, who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And Jesus knew what they were thinking, and he asked, why are you thinking these things in your heart? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to get up and walk? 
But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, take up your mat and go home. And immediately he stood up in front of them and took what he had and then lying and went home praising God. And everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. And they were filled with awe and said, we've seen remarkable things today. Friends, what we find in Christianity is a God who's come down to us and a God who forgives us. And Jesus, when he does this in this moment, he forgives sins. And they say, well, only God can forgive sins. And he says, yeah, and only God can heal a paralyzed man. And he puts the two together, saying, I'm God. I'm the one who forgives sins. And you can have forgiveness. There's a, there's a story. Well, it's actually a real story about the 101st Airborne in World War II. Right? They made a show about it, Band of Brothers. I might have mentioned this before last year. Okay, the 101st Airborne were the like number one trained combat team in the war for the United States. They were thrown into situations that were just dire, but they were the best trained. And for whatever reason, they kept having just tons and tons of success. And they would ask the guys when they, you know, joined the 101st Airborne, why did you join this, this team? You'd say, well, I want to fight next to guys who I knew were the best because I want to have assurance that they got my back as well as I have theirs. And the guy next to them has my back, and, and he has theirs. And what you begin to find is these guys had no fear in combat because they knew who they were. They were the best. And so they, they fought and they believed like the best. Do you know that if you believe in Christ for the forgiveness of sins, you are forgiven? And you can live your life like you're forgiven. Do you believe that tonight? that you can have this forgiveness, that if you are living a life of sin, you can turn away from that, follow Christ, and you receive his righteousness. He died for your sin, so now you can have everlasting life with him. More than that, you can, you can now live with freedom, not under the weight of shame, not under the weight of, of I can't uh, accomplish this, I, li- I have so much sin. No, you can, you can be forgiven of that. He takes that, and he says, now you can run. Now you can serve me with abandon. Some of you guys might know, okay, Les Miserables. I made the mistake of seeing the musical. I thought like they would talk and then they would sing and they would talk. Turns out they sing every line. <laughs> and you say, why? Because it shouldn't be, every line should be sang. Look, you know the story of Jean Valjean, okay? And Javert. Um, <laughs> and there's the scene, right, where, uh, you know, <laughs> he's like, uh, 19 years a slave of the law. Like, why don't you just say it? Just say it. 24601. Anyways, there's a moment where his time is up and his parole's begun. And he goes out with his parole sheet and he winds up in this bishop's house and he steals silver. Uh, he steals all the silverware, right? Like some candlesticks. And then he escapes. The police find him and they go back to this bishop, Jean Valjean, who had stole a loaf of bread, now is stealing. He's stealing all of these, um, <laughs> stealing the candlesticks, right? He's trying to start a new life for himself. And he's back and living in this sin. And the, the authorities come up to the, uh, to, to the bishop and they say, look, this guy, did he steal this stuff from your house? We've caught him. And the bishop says, why, why didn't you take the cutlery as well? Why didn't you take the rest of it? I gave it all to you. This is all yours. Take it. Here. And he goes and he gets the rest of the stuff and he gives it to Jean Valjean. Jean Valjean receives forgiveness in this moment and it just shatters him. 
He's the scene of him singing and ripping up his thing as it flows in the wind, right? He's forgiven. He's no longer bound by this, this, this old life he had. He is now forgiven. All that was in the past, and now he can live this new life in this forgiveness. It's done. His former life, that, that thing that was, you're a, a criminal, is gone. And he can now live in this. I love what Ezekiel 36, 25 to 26 says. It says, I will sprinkle you clean. I will sprinkle clean water on you. You will be clean. I will cleanse you from all impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove, um, I will remove from you a heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Friends, this is true forgiveness. Only Christianity can offer you true forgiveness. Do you believe that? Do you believe that you're forgiven? Some of you need to know, actually know that you are forgiven. and Some of you need tonight to, to come to grips with that because I know a lot of people here don't feel like they're forgiven. There might be two reasons for that. One is you're still living in sin. You're still living contrary to the way God would have you live. You're disobeying him. You're rebelling against him. You need to repent. You need to turn away. Place again faith and trust in Christ and begin to live life in this freedom, in this forgiveness where the chains are gone. Repentance the true repentance needs to be had in order to have forgiveness. But the second thing here too is, maybe yeah, you say, yeah, I believe all this. Yeah, I know I'm forgiven, but I just inside, I don't feel forgiven. And you, and you just, you lie there in self-defeat. And what you need to know is, look, if you're doing that, that's because you still think you're a judge over your life. You still think that you call the shots. There's a great line that says, we are either gods, right? We are God's children, or we are gods, meaning that we, we call the shots. We are our own God. And tonight, look, you might need to actually say, I give up this of trying to judge my own self and I'm actually going to let Christ be the judge. Because in that, on that day when you're in that throne room, right, on the judgment day, and you look up and there's Christ the judge, if you're a Christian, he's going to come down and say, actually, I'm also your defense and you can go free because I know you and you bear my righteousness. You can't have forgiveness of sin. You're no longer a slave. And when this happens, it drives you. If it's really happened, it now drives you to want to do it. And this is the interesting thing. Ezekiel continues. He says, I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Right? This is what you see with the guy when he gets healed. He takes up his mat and he runs. He tells everyone he can. You see in the book of Acts, people get healed and, and they say, I just need to tell somebody about, uh, tell somebody, tell somebody, right? That they, like, they, they can't contain the, what they have inside. They can't. And so they need to go and share this. They need to try and go serve others. Try. And, and let me just live my life for Christ because I'm forgiven. God will help you in that. He will help you keep those commandments. He will guide you by the Spirit. It solely doesn't depend on you. And it surely doesn't depend on the works that you're going to do. Because he knows you're going to fail, but he will also restore you. And he will guide you back to him if you turn in repentance. Jesus replies in John 8.34. He says, very truly, I tell it to you, uh, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family. But a son... A son belongs to the family forever. So do you know this idea that if you had a worker, the slavery in the ancient world was like a contract worker, right? An indentured servant. 
They could come and go once their, their debt was paid. But if you're a son in the family, you stay there forever. You're always part of the family. Verse 36 says, If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Mormons are going to live under this, and they need the gospel. They're going to live under this cycle of defeatism, and they will never truly feel free. They're never going to truly feel forgiven. But you, Christian, can have forgiveness. You are forgiven. Pick up your mat and walk. Will you pray for us? Father, um, we thank you for the true miracle of forgiveness, that you would come down to us and that you would, uh, you would forgive us of our sin, Lord, that you would want to restore that relationship, that you initiated that. And we're thankful for that. And Lord, I pray now as, as we respond in worship, may we worship with abandon. And Father, may we know we're truly forgiven. And Lord, may, if we are not um, in that place of feeling forgiven, Lord, may we um, be moved by you tonight. And may you, may you speak to us and, and, and move upon us and, and assure us that we are forgiven. Lord, we love you and we praise your name. Amen.